This is for all the girls who grew up without strong geek role models to help them discover their geek dreams. For everyone who's ever been quizzed about their video game knowledge because Geek Hearing is working to bring female identifying geeks into the prime to be the role models, dreams, and voices. About to show these boys how we do it. Higher, further, faster, baby. It's not about deserve. I'm not an owl! A girl has no name. There is something supernatural at work here. It's about what you believe. Did I stop on your mom? The Guardian Lemosa. Now on. You do as I tell you. May the odds be ever in your favor. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Ready for this? Welcome to Geek Herring, a critical geek culture podcast where we talk the good and the bad parts of being a chick in a male-dominated environment. Hi, I'm Amanda, and with me today is actually a bit of a different episode. What we are doing is sharing our week one of Book Club, where we're talking about The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. And we were joined by our incredible moderator and community friend, Gemma on a really, um, really wonderful and expansive conversation about how we feel about our bodies, where we are on our journey to self-love, um, you know, all sorts of things when it comes to disability, ability, body shape, size, and just so much. It ended up being almost um, two hours of group therapy, which you're very welcome. I have edited down to an hour and a half and I would really, you know, we're, we really love this conversation and want to share it with you. That's why we made it into a standalone podcast episode. Really hope you enjoy friends and we'll see you next week for another amazing episode of Geek Caring. We're here to talk week one of book club because it's January and it's the month of radical self-love yes. and uh, it's book club month. Uh, yeah, so the book that we are reading is called The Body is Not an Apology. It is by Sonia Renee Taylor. It's pretty fantastic so far. It really is. The book starts out with, in general, um, I mean, what I have to add to that is that I listened to the audiobook version because I could like do other things at the same time. Also, also I could just lie on the sofa and listen to it. And I kind of needed that in that moment. So I was listening to it yesterday. Um, and it's so nice to listen to because um, Sonia is also a poetry slammer. So she really mm. like does good reading. It's not like she knows how to read something, even though she didn't like read it like a poetry. Yes. But with how, how she's reading it basically is just um, super interesting to listen to and not like I've had books before that are super ancient and have are so unspectacular that you don't want to listen to them really and which I just listened to so I get could continue with the story that I was missing out on uh, on the longer drive um but this one is just like really a joy to listen to because she's yeah the pace and everything and her voice and her tone of voice and everything is just oh so great I love it um and yeah also the topic she talks about is very interesting to me and her voice is also really just really i don't know nice and calming i didn't fall asleep it wasn't very long i don't think the book can be really long is it um no it's not very long it's a hundred and hang on 127 okay. pages yeah because hundred and yeah yeah i might have even been able to she's just really in general really nice to to yeah 
listen to and to to hear what she has to say about how actually our body is not 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 an apology and should never be and yeah yeah um i hearing everybody's like because there's been quite a bit of chatter in discord and in our facebook group about how the how amazing the audiobook is Mm -hmm. and i'm like i really wish that i was into audiobooks so that i could hear this but i'm like they don't really do anything for me but i'm like i want to hear it anyway yeah like i would totally suggest that you listen to it um because just like her voice is really nice and everything yeah (laughs) and content wise hard (laughs) hmm Oh, they just, uh, yeah, I have issues with audio. So I totally get that, which is why I don't remember loads of it. Because, yeah, I just, I feel like I can't remember stuff when I only listen to it, listen to things and not have it also visually in, in front of me. Like I'm, I'm a, apparently I'm a both. I, I, it's fine with podcasts when I listen to them because I don't really need to remember them and I can just listen to it while I do things but that's a do- but in the in the in the case of a book I kind of feel I need to remember stuff afterwards and I can't do that very well with an on with, with, with an audiobook let's talk about why we selected this book yes we can do um, that we chose this book because we decided that this year we're not gonna do this better n- new year better me version that I definitely have to subscribe to previously hmm as I'm not gonna lie, so it's not that I I went that, that I never went into a new year and decided that this year everything is going to be so different and everything and everything else is so annoying and and and, and this year everything will be perfect. I did that before, <laughs> but this oh, year, I've done it too. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But this year we decided to fuck this bullshit. 2020 has been a tough year, and it would be great to love oneself for for once as as one is and not as one constantly strives to be which in a lot of the lot of the times has nothing to do with ourselves but with every outside influence in the world and how the how society perceives that we need to be which we take on so this year we decided fuck this bullshit basically yes (laughs) Yeah, it's all about loving the skin that we're in. Um, I mean, that doesn't mean that, you know, I want to I kind of want to preface this by saying like, we're not against somebody losing weight, we're not against somebody gaining weight. But we're against doing it because of society standards of beauty. Um, Like, it's really it's about loving yourself and who you are. And if you want to lose weight for yourself, you can do that. If you want to stay exactly as you are, you can do that. If you want to gain weight, you can do that. Like, it doesn't matter but love yourself. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's all about loving yourself. Yeah. And like, I don't know about anybody like listening here, but I know for me, like I have definitely apologized for my body before I've apologized for the space that I've taken up. I have apologized because I'm bigger. I've apologized because, you know, I might not fit in something. I've grown up hearing Amanda, you're too big uh, to play with your cousins like that. Amanda, you're too big for this big man. You're too big for that. Um, so like it is something that you know I've kind of grown up hearing and believing about myself and Mm -hmm. I'm over it (laughs) you're over it in the sense of fuck this bullshit I don't want to hear it anymore or you over it in the sense of I'm over that I don't see my I don't feel that anymore yeah all of it like I don't want to hear it anymore I don't believe it about myself anymore um 
it's taken a while for me to be like, I actually don't care what you think about my body so long as I'm comfortable in the skin that I'm in. Um, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I mean, that's the best preface all the time, isn't it? Yeah. I can just say that I'm definitely not where you are. <laughs> like in theory, I am where you are. But in practice, I am absolutely not where you are. Um, and that's kind of a, well, goal. Something I've been working on for on and off with professional people in my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a like deeply rooted insecurity that's still coming from... And it's not even because, um, like, I wasn't the big, wasn't big in experiencing a lot of harassment. Like, I wasn't bullied in school because people thought I was fat. Like, I, I didn't have no friends because because of the skin I was in. Because I think that's also like a different, entirely different ball game. Doesn't mean that I never got com uh, comments on 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 my appearance. Obviously, that happened. Still. Um, when people like you, they can still hurt you. So yeah, that's still co like created some very deeply rooted insecurities about the way I look. And especially because for me, like I was a fat, like in my head, I was a fat kid when I looked at the, look at the pictures and I'm like, I wasn't actually really a fat kid. I was a kid. I wasn't, wasn't super, super, super skinny or anything, but I was a normal kid. If I look back on my own pictures, um, But yeah, people already back then like put the stamp on me that I was the fat kid, and then I was the fat kid for a while, and then I wasn't for a very for for a few years. Was super skinny, like lost very much weight, a lot of weight, and then gained it all back again. And here we are. And now I think that that transition of being fat, being skinny, being fat again that that is kind of something that pushed me over the edge of over the edge when it comes to feeling more insecure about myself because people have seen me differently. I basically, I kind of made it in my head, you know, and now I kind of super failed in it again, if you know what I mean. And that is something that's just causing a lot, lot more insecurity than I've had before, I think, or also because I'm dealing with other shit as well. So, so that's just basically, and then, and that's not how I want to live for the rest of my life. Um, because, If we are not our own cheerleaders, who the fuck should be our cheerleader? Um, yes. So, yeah, that's why I'm. That's also why this topic is topic is kind of so needed in in well, not only this month, but like almost every every month of every year um, going forward. That it's fine in whatever skin that we're in. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I remember when I was. Oh my goodness, it must have been grade one or two. So I was like, no, it was grade, I don't know. Grade, I was nine. Okay, so I was nine years old. And they decided at school to weigh us all um, in front of each other. And oh, I was yeah. the heaviest person in the class um, at 90 pounds um, and at nine years old. And this was like such a big deal. Like my parents got told, your daughter is too fat. And they're like, she's a healthy girl. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing wrong with her. She runs around, she's active. She eats food, like, who cares? <laughs> um, but, like, that's always kind of stuck with me that at nine years old, I was the heaviest person in the class. Yeah. I was also, sure. like, really tall. I was tall for my age. I'm short now, but at the time I was tall. <laughs> I'm short now. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I'm short now, but you know, I grew, I grew fast and then I just kind of stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Grew fast and kind of stopped. Yeah. And what I found in the book, so so great because um, Sonia basically tells us how, how the, your body is not an apology even came to be and create this huge movement where people to tattoo that statement and other things she said onto their bodies, because um, she was talking to a, a uh, friend of hers who had some sclerosis, some multiple sclerosis, and was having unprotected sex with someone, got pregnant from it, and um, didn't want the baby because the person obviously was not someone she wanted to have a baby with. Uh, and when she was asking about why she didn't do it, she was like, "She's already having so many issues because of her of her of her illness, and she doesn't didn't want to. In addition, that makes it more complicated for her in general. And this is why she didn't want to um, basically add that additional pressure onto the person she was having sex with." Um, for asking for for uh, protected sex basically and then that is when it came out of of Sonia when she said but your body is not an apology like you should not apologize for whatever you need whatever your body needs and whatever um you need to live a healthy and good life basically and that's just mm-hmm. something where I was like fucking hell like how often do people in various it's not even about about whether whether you're fat or not or or it could be it can be anything like any any disease and is any disability any situation that you have going on with with the skin that you're in could be everything and people just generally um tend to apologize when they're in a well uh i have the german word now but i can't think of the english one Uh, at the outskirts of of a certain certain group like when they're on the outside of 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 what a group should is supposed to look like Hmm. yeah um and then like Sonia continues um, to talk about like how this became a full full on movement for her um, because she took this picture of herself in like sexy lingerie and she thought she looked baller because I bet you she did. I haven't seen the picture, but I'm sure she looked amazing. And um, she wasn't going to share it anywhere because she was like, nobody wants to see that. And then uh, she decided that you know what if she did share it this was like after months of having this picture on her phone and she shared it and she put like a little caption that said like my body is not an apology and went to bed and woke up with like hundreds of shares women like tagging her in pictures like of themselves and like in confident poses and lingerie saying like my body is also not an apology mm-hmm. and a movement was born and i love i love it because we like that's the kind of confidence and energy that I want everyone to have, you know? She's just adding to it, though, that it's not necessarily only about confidence because um, self-confidence doesn't necessarily mean... And she she also attributes it to the current president. Like, just because you have self-confidence doesn't mean that you're uh, a ride or be a good person. <laughs> um um so Sorry, a, this is actually a topic in chapter one about confidence and i just was like yep confident yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries um my words, it's, about, not my body. it's about radically loving yourself and not like just going out there and being like oh i'm so confident i have all the shit figured out i wanted to read out just one sentence here that um is in chapter one of the book and it's really about why radical self-love is so important 
And uh, she says, racism, sexism, ableism, homo and transphobia, ageism, fatphobia are algorithms created by human struggle to make peace with the body. A radical self-love world is a world free from the systems of, of oppression that make it difficult and sometimes deadly to live in our bodies. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that she writes super resonates. Like, it super, super oh, resonates. Sure. Like, how, how, how is this even a thing that somebody is stoned basically for simply existing as a person in a body and she said something really amazing that there are lots of things that there is no proof of like you can be a spiritual being but you can't prove prove that but what what we can prove is that we have she made a lot of some like a lot of connections to that but the one thing that is a fact is that we all have a body um and that's why the that the body is turned into such a war zone. That's why th that is so problematic, basically, as well. Mm -hmm. I am probably quoted that so wrong, but I only remember it from hearing it. <laughs> oh, that was I think good. I'm going to buy the book. It doesn't too, need to be direct quotes, just you know. <laughs> so, just so I can, again, figure um, figure it out, basically, what, what has been said, because now I can't even look it up. <laughs> yeah. I'll see if I've, if I've highlighted it as I go through. Mm. Um, I've also found the section where she talks about self-confidence, which I feel like I need to read out to call myself in on because clearly I need to hear this again. <laughs> um, radical self-love is deeper, wider, and more expensive than anything we would call self-confidence or self-esteem. It is juicier than self-acceptance. Including the word radical offers us a self-love that is the root or origin of our relationship to ourselves. We did not start life in a negative partnership with our bodies. And then she goes on to talk about how like toddlers and babies are just so like in awe with what their bodies can do. Like, have you ever seen a baby find their feet for the first time? Or like one of my friends is po currently posting about how her child has just found that he has a tongue. And like, <laughs> there's just pictures of this baby with a tongue, like, <laughs> like I have a tongue, I have a tongue. <laughs> Perfect. So what are your thoughts on Sonia's book or in general? Yeah, I mean, I think that it was an interesting experience for me because I'm at two different points and two different types of radical self-love with my body. So mm -hmm. I have been fat literally my entire life, like literally like baby Gemma was fat, toddler Gemma was fat, child Gemma was fat, teenage Gemma was fat, and adult Gemma was fat consistently, always, mm -hmm. always. And like, not just like plus size, but on like the upper end of plus size, right? Like I am... I am twice the weight of an average adult and that's fine. Like I've got no issue. And, and that's the thing is I'm actually there with that. Like I've got no issues with that. And I actually get really upset when people tell me not to call myself fat. Like it, it's mm. one of those things where I'm like, do you tell me not to call myself short? Because mm -hmm. if you don't, the problem's you and not me. Yeah. Um, so I'm fat. I'm there. I'm also disabled and I am not there with that. Mm -hmm. And so the interesting relationship between the space my body takes up, physically takes up as a person who is fat is one thing. I don't apologize on airplanes. I don't give a shit that I need a, a seatbelt extender on an airplane. Like mm -hmm. none of that. That's fine. I can do that. The part where I'm disabled and I need help with different physical things in the world, like I have no problem seeing a world that is not built for fat people and seeing the world as the problem. I have so many struggles still with seeing a world where the barriers are in the world, but the barriers feel like they're in my body. Mm -hmm. 
like I feel it, right? Like when I need accommodations for my disabilities, um, and to be like, just so folks know, I'm a brain tumor survivor, which has caused um, a number of sort of brain activities that are atypical. Um, I also have lupus, which is a autoimmune disorder and um, affects uh, your joints and has like, like I have rheumatoid arthritis. I have like, there's a lot of like cluster things that are are associated with that. And it means that things like, like my shoulder, I have a shoulder that like just doesn't work right. Like I can't lift things properly. Mm -hmm. And, and like, that's like, I was going to say that's fine because that's what I always say. Cause I don't want people to like feel uncomfortable cause I'm disabled. Um, the reality is, is that like people say things and people also link those two things together in ways that I'm not comfortable with, where they're like, if you have arthritis, you shouldn't be fat. And I'm like, I am fat because I have arthritis. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and also my worst arthritis is in my shoulders. So unless we're planning a radical weight loss program for my left <laughs> hand, I'm not sure what we're doing. Um, <laughs> I mean, people start and try to lose weight in various places. It will probably not be the first time that people <laughs> assume that there is a weight loss program for shoulder fat or whatever. Yes. Oh, God. But like, so it's one of those things where I never apologize for being fat and taking up space, but I consistently apologize for what my body needs as a disabled person. Mm. And I am aware of the cognitive dissonance that's happening there. I'm aware that they're linked, but it's so different because my disabilities aren't things I were I was born with. Yeah. And so I've spent my whole life being like, this is me and this is how I was made as a fat person. Mm -hmm. And then recognizing that, you know, the lupus is one piece, but I, you know, that comes and goes, it flares. It's not the same thing as being a brain tumor survivor mm -hmm. where like my brain chemistry is permanently altered and it happened in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Like I went from being neurotypical to having a hole in my brain in a 12 hour surgery. Yeah. That's just what happened. And, and that changes things, right? And so for me, radically loving myself while also trying to accept that both versions of who I was on either side of that moment mm -hmm. were normal and okay is a process. Because to me, there's one piece where it's like, this is who I am, this is how I am, take me or leave me kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But getting around disability acceptance and around like, you know, the the Crip Pride movement and all of those pieces where we're trying to recognize that illness, dis, like that disability is not an impairment, that mm -hmm. disability is not a dysfunction, that all of those pieces is a real shift, right? When we're talking about broken bodies, when the narrative is broken bodies, mm -hmm. bodies that aren't working as they should, because we talk about fatness and we talk about race and we talk about those things as this is the way I was born. Mm -hmm. But what does that do when it's not the way you were born? Do you think so that's for you my, it's, my sense. It is more difficult for you because a you had the I mean it's probably kind of both, but I'm still asking the question. Um mm -hmm. because it's something that you um as you said, ha that's something that happened with you uh, along the path of your life um and or or because the stigma is worse with disabilities than it is with with fat phobia or with with racism and 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 things like that i think it's both mm -hmm. um i think that 
I think that the stigma is worse with disability in some way, or it's different anyway. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's both like with size and things like that. It's this like paternalistic idea that you're not taking care of yourself or you're not doing the right thing or whatever mm. nonsense we want to say. <laughs> um, but with disability, it's this idea that someone is lacking. Like there's like a lacking. There's a lacking of function. There's a mm-hmm. lacking of ability. There's a lacking of whatever. And so the idea is that the person inherently needs help. Not that they need help to help themselves or whatever we might even, what problematic shit we will say about people who are fat or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's this idea that like the world is hard for you because you lack the same tools that others have. And so let me help you through the world. When I'm like, literally, if you'd stop building fucking stairs, people in wheelchairs could go places. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <it's> just, <laughs> yeah. Like, like people are building stairs. That's just like you're, you're literally building barriers. And like, and accessibility is obviously more than ramps, mm. truly. But like we live, like for instance, I, like I, uh, for a long time, I was legally not able to drive uh, because mm-hmm. of the brain tumor situation. I now don't have a legal reason to not drive, but I have, I have concerns, right? Like yeah. I have seizures, I have things. Like it's not a, it's not a happy idea for me, um, and it's not when I feel safe doing. Not goodness, not for my own safety, but for the world around mm. me. But we live in a world where you either drive or you are seen as somewhat dysfunctional. <laughs> Because we live in a world where it's a necessity that you take yourself long distances through your own transportation in order to be an active participant in society. Especially in Canada. I didn't build that world, but someone else did. Yeah. But that's not inherently the way it is. No one drove 300 years ago and we were fucking fine. (laughs) But but we built a society where that's necessary and then put gates around who can do it. Yeah. But I'm the problem because I don't drive. And it is legal to require people to have an active driver's license in a car to get a job. What? In the yes. in Canada? In Canada, it sure is. Wow. Can you say that and again? Yeah. So in yeah, in Canada, yeah. it is legal to require people to have access to a vehicle and a valid driver's license and insurance in order to be employed. Is that for, for every job? Like or any job can implement job it. Any job can implement it, provided that there is reasonable-ish grounds, which can include that you live in an area that lacks public transportation and they doubt your ability to get to your job. Wow. I mean, uh, the, that is definitely something that people would ask in a job interview, but not something they would, I think, be legally able to require someone to have. When the person says they will be able to make it to the, to the job, then they will be able to then... Because I have been asked it before in, in a job interview if I because of how far it was from my hometown or whatever. So they were concerned about my where to get places, but that it's like a legal requirement that you need to have. It's like wow, and and it's and it's legal to so it is legal to discriminate against me because I don't drive, and that that's that's not a me problem. No, that's a society problem, but it will be presented as though it's a me problem. I'm the one dysfunctional. I'm the one who is lacking something. But it's because we've decided that everyone needs to be able to operate moderately sized machinery in order to access the world. 
Yeah, for sure. And when you put it like that, it sounds ridiculous, right? Like when you put it like that, you're like, yeah, that is ridiculous. Yeah, but that also totally. doesn't help. Like even if you re- can rationalize something in your head, it doesn't necessarily mean you as a person then don't feel shit about it and shit about yourself because you can't do it. Um, even though you know yep. rationally, rationally it's bullshit, right? Yep. And so, so for me, it's pieces like that where the levels of stigma and even like I absolutely have people question my my um, mental capacity frequently. Not often people who know me well. Like if you've gotten to know me and then you're like, oh shit, Gemma has a hole in her brain. Um, it feels a little different because you you know me and you know my who I am. But it is very, very common if people, it's why I hide it. Um, and I feel embarrassed that I hide it. But when I'm meeting people, I don't talk about it. And I hate when it's brought up early because I don't want their assumptions of who I am to be based on the fact that they have a grade three understanding of brain science and have figured out that my personality and rational thinking should be rooted in my front lobe where the hole is. And so suddenly they think I'm not trustworthy. But it means that because I want people to think of me to think well of me, I have to lean into ableism. Yeah. Or or I go through the world wearing it and not giving a shit and every day being my disability because there are two options in the world often. You wear your disability and you be it and ableism affects you that way or you wear ableism and use it to manipulate other people into not judging you. Do you think there is a place somewhere, there is some middle ground? Like, I mean, that's a stupid question. I think radical love is the middle ground. Like, I think the middle ground isn't the middle at all, right? Like, I think the middle ground is actually the place where we leave dichotomy behind Mm -hmm. and start talking about things in an entirely different way. Yeah. You know, like this whole idea of like, we just move to the center. There's some places where there's no center. And the middle of, there's, there's no... There's no disability neutral place yeah. in our current spectrum. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to, to, to move back to the book, the when I realized that the book was not just about fat acceptance um, and was actually about fat liberation and was more than that, was about the way bodies mm. are in the world and the way the world can makes boxes and then damns the bodies for not fitting in them. Mm -hmm. It shifted Mm -hmm. how I was feeling approaching the book, right? I was like, oh, yay, fat lib book, like New Year fat lib. I can do this. this (laughs) And then it was a whole other thing. And I was like, oh, there's going to be some heart work here. There's going to be some heart work where I am, where I am developing and confronting the ways in which I've even used this pandemic to hide my disability. Because no one sees me have seizures. Mm. No one knows I have a seizure because I just don't need to be in anyone's face. But when I'm out physically in the world for 12 hours and I'm, you know, like, let's say doing an event with the university and it's convocation and our convocations are outside and I'm outside for eight hours in the sun and everyone around me needs to know that I'm a seizure risk because it's all cement. And if I go down, it's going to hurt. And that's fine. That's fine. Like the people at the university now know me. That's not the issue. But they know when I have a seizure because they because because it's so inaccessible that I can't be safe there. 
But if I'm just talking to you right now and I mute out, I can literally, like I would, I, with you all, I would never say it was a tech issue, but I could like mute out for five minutes and be like, whoa, my audio cut out. So sorry. And no one would ever know. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's weird because my body's not in the world. My relationship to my disability is different because of the pandemic. And I'm still figuring that out. Do you feel it is worse now? for you and your relationship with your disability or now that you're in the pandemic and nobody sees you or do you feel a bit better about it that it's kind of like your decision when you open up to people about it is that I don't know yeah I I told no I know what you're asking and I think it's actually like both in some ways so for instance the world right now is more accessible to me so it's easier like in many ways like um, because of the things like the driving piece and, and all of this, like I have more control over my life and I'm in a safer place physically for, for mm-hmm. my disability. I'm in a home that's built for my disability. Cool. But it, it's also become harder because I have to be so much more intentional and because it's forcing me to, to make choices to share or to not mm-hmm. And so it's harder, not in a bad, like not in a bad way, mm-hmm. but it's forcing the choices and it's forcing the growth yeah. in a way that I didn't anticipate when we closed everything down in March. Like that certainly wasn't <laughs> my first thought, but you know, <laughs> 10 months later, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm now at a point in my life where I need to make decisions. Um, like growth, personal growth hurts sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Like it's hard. And that's where this is for me is it's like, I need to make the choices that in the long term, I know will take me to a healthier place, that place of radical love that Sonia talks about. Mm-hmm. But between now and then is a lot of confronting my own fears and my own pain and my own, my own internalized stigma. And the stigma of the people around me who I've been able to ignore because it's been couched in an idea of illness, an ideal of an idea of brokenness, an idea of they helping me, etc. And in order for me to radically love myself, I need to demand different of the people around me, and not everyone's going to rise to that, and I don't know who I'm going to lose. Mm-hmm. And that all after mm-hmm. a year of a fucking pandemic, it's a bit, a bit much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot right <laughs> right like, like days, i want to drink lot, wine right? now and for you because <laughs> i'm like jesus fucking christ it's nothing like starting out 2021 with like some deep dive work like not just reading but no we're like we're getting in there we're getting into this shit and like we're, we're dismantling everything that we've ever thought that we knew about ourselves because we're afraid to look at what we don't want to look at we don't want right? to look at these things and deal with this shit right and some days i think like oh my God, I just don't even know if I have the strength to answer email. And yet I'm being tacked, like yet in order to be myself, I have to confront so much more than just my executive dysfunction around the 22 email that are in my inbox right now looking at me. I actually have to dismantle how I know myself and risk everything in the process to know myself better. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh god like i I got no word that was like yep (laughs) (laughs) oh god sorry that was a lot of like 
standing no. at my pulpit and sharing. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Um, and I, I really appreciate your honesty and your candidness about it as well. Um, cause I, for me personally, don't have many people in my life that do speak openly about their disabilities, um, and how, like how all of the thoughts and feelings are just, uh, and like impacting them in all different ways. Like for me, listening to you speak about how this quarantine and pandemic has changed the way that you like even feel about your disability. It's just, it's just something that for me, I've never even like the thoughts never even occurred to me that it would be a different experience, you know, like, yeah. but it's also, um, so I really we're not genu- living with genuinely. It, so it's like, appreciate this. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Like, obviously. Thank you for sharing genuinely um, because I, I like to think of myself as more like socially aware than some people, some, most people, many people, I don't know, more socially aware than others, not all. Um, but, and yet something like this is something that doesn't, it, it's not in my wheelhouse. It's not in my personal experience and hearing you speak about this has kind of made me realize all of the things I have no idea about. I think we always speak from the standpoint of being white women in the privileged world, because despite being like, like we're white, we live in countries that don't like run after us or whatever, or do whatever it is to us. And we have like, we're still like, we are super close below the straight white men. (laughs) We have to be very honest about that. Like um, there is a lot that, if we don't actively look at it, we don't know shit about. Um, exactly. And I would be able to walk through life without ever seeing any black person, without ever seeing any queer person, if I wouldn't actively look at it. And that often also means that I don't see a lot of things um, because of that. And that's always why I'm why I'm trying to not. I don't know. So, 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 I just know how to. Socrates, Socrates, is that how you call him in English? I don't know. Socrates? Yes. <laughs> Thank you very the much. The Socratic <laughs> method? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, I know what I don't know. What it, I've, I've, I've yep. made a brain fart right now, but yeah. Um, we don't know think- so many, so many things at the same time. And that's why I'm always not trying to. <sighs> see myself as so that that I know so many things and I'm so open about so many things because I think so many things I still don't know. I think that that coming to the place of knowing that you don't know so much is an important place to be at Mm. and one that's really really vulnerable right where you're like because that's why like we always talk about how a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing because when you have a little bit you're like I understand this thing (laughs) um and then you learn a little more and you're like I understand nothing um and like it's that that journey, right? But I mm. think I think to sort of like maybe add a little bit onto the disability and the pandemic piece, and then I swear we'll bring it back to the book. Yeah, it's, fine. it's um it's been interesting as a disabled person to see the ways people talk about the pandemic in terms of self-isolation, staying home, not being able to do things, and the way people yearn to be able to do things again. Mm. Like when I when people talk about, so for instance, like just as an example, I am super stoked to go to Europe to meet like so many of you, right? Like that, it, the plan, like it's going to happen. Probably not 2021 because of, you know, how, but still. 2022, pro- yeah. yeah. But pro- hopefully 2022, that's like what we're budgeting yeah. for and planning for. It's going to be awesome. 
at the same time, travel is really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. I need um, I need a lot of clearances and I actually need special medication because um, they have to regulate the pressure in my brain in order for me to fly. Okay. Because when you fly, the pressure affects and I have a hole in my brain, um, which means that I have more um, cerebral spinal fluid than other people. Mm-hmm. And it means that it takes on the pressurization more mm-hmm. when we when I go into the air. And it technically, like in theory, because there's not a lot of people wandering around with holes in their brains. Um, could really impact my brain. And I wasn't able to fly for five years after the surgery because they were afraid of what would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this flight to Europe is going to be one that I need to medically prepare for. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like, that's like, I'm like, I am okay with that. And there's, it should be fine. But I don't get to travel like other people do. Yeah. I've flown twice since this. And and it's a it's it's a journey, right? Like I both of them are about two hour flights. This is gonna be more than that. Yeah. And 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 it's okay. Like I don't mind that. But like so when people are like, life is gonna be easy, we're gonna go outside again, we're gonna do things. There's a whole bunch of disabled people that don't go outside anyway. There's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of disabled people who are stuck in their homes because the world is not accessible. There's a whole bunch of people who are disabled and whose immune conditions, et cetera, et cetera bar them from doing this and this is our lives the thing where you say because of a health reason i can't go to an event is my life Mm. and so it's it's okay that other people don't know that but when other people talk about it like it's the worst thing ever that we've wasted a year that we've lost a year and i'm getting emotional when people talk about how they've lost a year because they've had to stay home i wonder what their assumptions are about my life Mm. Because my life is worth something and I've never lost a year of it. Mm. Not when I was going through treatment and not when I was at my worst in terms of like literally having a hole in my skull. I never lost a year, never once. And it drives me to the depths of despair to think about how a bunch of able-bodied people think that having to close their doors and watch TV is losing a year of their lives. Mm. What is life to you if you can't find a way to do it from your living room? Yeah, for sure. I, also, I agree. Also, what... With, go ahead. Go ahead, Monica. Nate, what do you say, Jim? Is what they are, what are they displaying out? Like, if that's the worst thing, like, it automatically means that whoever does that, for whatever reason, like, pe- for a lot of people, you say, for, for disabilities, other people are just introvert, introverts and like to stay at home. It just gives the... This, again displaying a norm to someone um and to to the entire world how things should be and makes everything else automatically kind of seem worthless which is obviously also um yes it's automatically othering other experiences and turning them into like some kind of knockoff version yeah but my life isn't the knockoff version of life yeah and i do i do a lot of i do a lot of things and and my life, you know, we didn't we didn't lose a year, we didn't do any of that. But like I honestly sometimes think like what needs to be handed to the average person for them to feel like they are living a life? Like what is life to you? Is it international travel? And I'm not saying don't travel, like that just yeah. to be super clear. <laughs> but like, you know, like if you if travel is your passion, awesome. But recognize that going out and traveling everywhere is not the only way to experience the world. 
I honestly do think now, and especially in this pandemic situation, I mean, in, in general, I do think people don't know that the real pandemic, I think, is that people never know what makes their life a life worth living. Now they blame yes. it on the pandemic and we can't go out and that's why we've lost year and that's why this is bullshit and blah, 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 and whatever. Um, but that's just because they can blame it on something now. When when this is all over, they're going to blame it on something else, why they haven't figured out what they want to do with their life and why their life is bullshit and why their life sucks. So it's they, they just now have this common enemy of, of the pandemic being the absolute worst that can happen to someone without having to think about why they actually feel unhappy with their, what their life is and how their life is. And maybe just being at home and f focusing on yourself for a second is something that they should be doing anyway. Um, and mm -hmm. not just because the pandemic made, made them to and now the pandemic is the super evil of everything and we have to stay at home and whatever. So that's not the problem that people need to stay at home. And that that's not the problem why people hate staying at home. It's kind of like people need to show, people are shown now into their faces that all the distractions that they use in their entire fucking life um, are no real distractions, uh, are actually only that distraction and not whatever else that they have going on in their life and they need to actually take a real good look on the, on themselves and this is i think something that especially with people with disabilities and you as well you have to constantly look at how you do your life and what you do and how you can do it better and and and, and what do you what you need you're kind of forced through a dis to, through the disability to to look at yourself so and and how you deal with life which other people often don't people who are still who are able-bodied and then don't have anything going on they're not forced to do that in that kind of way and so i'm thinking that's why they are also like yeah the pandemic is the worst of all fucking you but in reality nobody fucking knows what they're going to do what they're doing with their life and that's why they it's easier to talk shit about to talk down on something when you as as a kind of defense mechanism because that's what humans in general do like punch down instead of looking at themselves yes. or punching up so that's what's what that what I think is a lot of what what's happening because in reality what they've been shown now in this last year is how shit their actual their own life is and they just didn't get enough distraction to 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 cover that bullshit up again once again another year yeah. so the question is who is actually who has actually lost a year because they've yeah. been losing their years before and not not really now during this pandemic. Exactly. The pandemic is really acting as a scapegoat. Like, oh, uh, I finally, I've got something to blame it all on, not myself. Must be the pandemic. And I, like, I think that the other piece, like, yes, I agree with all of that. And I think that the other piece is that what I see on social media, what people are saying on social media is, I can't wait to go on vacations again. I can't wait to travel again. I can't wait to, you know, see my family again. And, and, and those are all valid or like go to work conferences and all of mm. that. Like, and those are all valid. Like I'm not, I'm not um, saying that those aren't valid desires and that people aren't actually struggling and that things aren't actually hard. What I'm saying, but what I also see is I can't wait till I get to use my privilege again. Yeah. My privilege is not being used right now because I can't spend all my money in ways that other people don't have. And I can't, I can't travel the world and I can't like, I can't hug the family that I have. Mm -hmm. Like, like, and, and having a family is a form of privilege. I hope everyone has it. Sure, but not everyone has it.
But the people who were like, this is the worst Christmas ever because I can't spend it with my family. I haven't spent it with a biological relative since I was 15 years old. Mm. And that's fine. Like, this isn't for pity. Mm. I'm just saying, like, there are – I feel your pain, but I would like your pain to be a recognition of you feeling pain, not an assumption that your life is normal. Mm-hmm. Not an assumption that what you get to do is the given. And not a sense of like, I have all this privilege and I've got nowhere to put it in this pandemic. <laughs> I kind of like this as a quote, to be honest, because that's exactly <laughs> what it is. And, and, and again, like everyone is having a hard time and I'm not like, I would never downplay that. It mm. is tr- truly challenging. And especially the breaking of routines and all of that. Like I have deep, deep empathy for that, but I have empathy for people who are experiencing personal loss and challenge. I don't have empathy for people who believe that what they are experiencing is, is a, is a, is the wish version of life. Like I ordered a life off of Amazon and I got this from Wish um, is is not what we're dealing with. Here. Wow, I kind of great analogy. That. I really love that. I kind of want to order something from Wish just to see what's coming home now. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think it's probably all it's the the sum of absolutely fucking everything all the time. Like you have to deal with ableism and and, and all of that shit generally in life already anyway like as you mentioned before like people look at you differently you have to defend yourself and whatever and um now you see all these people whining about something that in an in outside of the pandemic they kind of already treated you weirdly wrong like differently about it and and were ableist about it and now they're all like this is worse and that's just that the, the the attached drama to that crap is just there's just so much empathy and so much emotional stamina left in you i suppose i mean it's there's not left in a lot of us in general but obviously in you even more because you're like this is my fucking life all the fucking time and now you labor your bullshit onto me as well and i really can't take it anymore to a certain degree so fuck your fucking shit off to wherever the fuck you want to go but don't bring it to me because i have my own shit going on already sorry <laughs> that was a lot of swearing that was a lot of expletives <laughs> Uh, oh, this is normal. Yeah. <laughs> so, to yeah, it's not that it's good or or or, or makes it more tolerable during a not pandemic time, obviously, but it's definitely more even in a, in addition, just also so much more exhausting when everybody else is just all all of a sudden trying to make your life that's your normal and you your life your life life. Um, mm-hmm. And constantly talk about how how that's the worst thing ever. It's just like so painful. Must be yeah. so painful to constantly be like it's exhausting yeah, more exhausting. than painful, to be honest. Yeah. And so like that's part of the challenge with this book is this book is saying you've got to like do some work to get to a place and it's not about confidence and it's not about and I made sure I only read the f- up to where we were reading mm-hmm. to today because I know that I have a hard time like not not foreshadowing because I'm like, wait till we get to this part. No, 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 no. Gemma's <laughs> not doing that this time. Um, so like, it's so much about like, 
like you were saying about the confidence piece, it's not, it's not just about self-confidence or it's not acceptance. It's not these things. It's something else, Mm. but getting there takes work and it's a shift and, and it is hard Mm -hmm. in a world full of pain and stress and challenge and a pandemic. And like, literally like one of the things I said today is like, you know, there's a, there's a there's a literal coup going on, but here we are. Like we're just we're just working, right? Like can't you even? I mean, right? Um, yeah. So, so like all of that, and at the same time, my I need to make myself a priority. Like I only have yeah. so much energy. Yeah. And I have a lot of a lot of threads right now that I really I really need a strong rope and that strong rope will get me through life but I need to make the time to braid it mm-hmm. and that takes energy that is so hard to find when it feels like self radical self-love is work that I don't have the energy for because everything's a crisis yeah And so it's about parceling that time out, right? It's about parceling that energy out and it's about choosing myself and it's about choosing myself in a moment where watching other people make selfish choices, truly selfish choices, makes it hard to make self-responsible choices Mm -hmm. because there's such a conflation about what is, what is, self-honoring and what is selfish right because we've got a bunch of people who are saying this is me 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 me. i get mm-hmm. to do the thing i'm upset whatever i don't need to wear my mask i don't need to do this me, me me yes my freedom my freedom the, the freedom eagle is upset with us um but like like it's hard right to to take a moment when i'm so appalled by the selfishness happening mm. and turn inward and it not feel selfish there's a lot of work it takes to get into where this book is and yeah. and I'm working on it but it's it's hard to work yeah for yes. sure it, i think especially like because everything there's been so much going on obviously and not that it's not there is not always much a lot going on it's also and it, i'm not even talking only about the pandemic i mean the world is a sh- uh, uh, like on fire the last year mm-hmm. and continuing now so it's all it's more than just the pandemic. It's like you can you see how everybody is just seems to be like the absolute utter narcissist, sociopath, bastard. And you're just sitting there like, all I want to do is... And then you look into yourself with all that anger and with all that resentment towards the entire world. It's just mm-hmm. really hard to then find the room and the space and the energy to even be like, now I'm going to look at myself and how I can make myself feel better when everybody else is just out there being all assholes. And and I know we can't pour from an empty cup and I know we can't set ourselves on fire to keep other people warm. And I know we need to put our oxygen mask on first before we help other people. Yeah. There's a million analogies about blah, self-care. Blah. <laughs> self-care, exactly. But here's the other piece, right? Like, it's not just the world is on fire. It's the personal crises. Like, I'm thinking of you, Amanda, like uprooting your whole life and moving to a different country. And how do yep. you, how do you... How do you say, like, I need to do this for me when there's a literal emergency in front of you? Mm. In your, not just in the world, in your living room. Mm. Yeah, literally, can you hear him? He's very loud. I keep muting myself. <laughs> <laughs> I can't um, hear anything. 
That's good. Um, yeah, it was hard. And I mean, it still is hard. And this is like, I am definitely in a place where right now, um, you know, I spent five mo- months being of service to my family, being of service to my dad and my mom and not putting myself first. And I felt awful. I felt like shit. I couldn't like, I, I was, I'm grateful don't get me wrong. I'm absolutely grateful that I've been here um, in this time and in this space and being that role because not many people can up yep. and leave their life and come and do this. I, it, so I, I'm very grateful that I have been here to do this, but it, it's not been easy. Yeah. It's taken a, a mental toll. It's taken a, an emotional toll. It's taken a physical toll. Um, you know, and like, we've got this, we've got a pandemic, like it's a lot going on. And the first weekend of this year, I spent um, in a virtual retreat with some with some women that I'm in an online membership with, and it was the first time since July that I spent any time with myself, and yeah. it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, it was just just giving myself that space, giving myself that time, and devoting three whole days to just me. It's changed everything for me. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's changed my perspective. It's changed the way that I feel right now. Um, like I currently, it was three days and I feel like I can take on the world. It was three days <laughs> and I've been more productive this week than I have in the last six months. She like was, She was so mm-hmm. on fire. It was a bit terrifying to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> We're going to do um, this and, and that. And I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? <laughs> Where yeah, does the energy you know come what? from? <laughs> Show me energy the well. Comes spending some time with myself mm. and like it I, I i hate to be one of these people that like oh you can't pour from an empty cup but like seriously <laughs> i couldn't pour from yeah. an empty cup i took three days and i rejuvenated myself and that's all it took was three days and you better fucking believe that this year i am planning time off i am planning time with no client work i with no other work with doing nothing other than spending time with me because i've like firsthand experienced how big of a change it is in my life, how big a change in my everything to do with me. Um, and it's, it's a thing. I, <laughs> it's a thing. Like I, I can't, do I, again. <laughs> I do believe that you can't pour from an empty cup. I do think that it's like, I totally truly believe that with my whole heart. I also just think it's, it's sometimes hard to find the, like, I don't want to say to justify it to myself, but that is how it feels in my heart, right? That it's hard to justify when, when everything is so much, there's so much in the world and so much in my life that is in versions of crisis that in my head is worse than I'm dealing with. Like that, yes. that other person is dealing with something worse than what I have. So. And so it's the part that of you that feels selfish. Yes, like exactly. It feels selfish to try to, Focus on yourself when there's shit going on, when there's a literal crisis, when your your family's not well, when there's a pandemic. I didn't feel selfish as fuck. Yes, absolutely and when, does. And when you're seeing other people make choices, like I I never feel like self care choices for other people are selfish. Like that's not how I like I don't view that for other people. But it's hard for me to distinguish in my heart between self-care for me and when people are actually being self-entitled twats out in the world. Mm. Like, and not like, not in like the mask way, but when someone, like someone in an organization or whatever is just like, 
that seems like a you problem. And I'm like, uh, we hold the same role. That is an us problem. <laughs> um, and so they're being a, tw- but then I'm like, but then, then I feel like, oh my gosh, that's what I'm doing when I step away. I'm being that person now. Like I'm being that. And, and I know logically that's not true, but that's where the heart work comes in for this, right? The soul work where you have to, I know a lot of stuff, like logically I know it. But feeling it as truth in my soul is different. Yeah. I cannot subscribe to this statement more in my entire life. (laughs) It's like, do what I say, not what I do. Yes, a million percent, a million percent, Amanda. (laughs) Like, I know everything I need to do to do anything. Do I do it? No. Yep. I honestly don't know one time and by everything i don't mean everything (laughs) yeah no no i understand i mean i understood what you meant (laughs) yeah i honestly don't know ever like i can't i don't even think that the days over the holidays would be called as something where i would say that this is something that i did for self-care i have zero self-care um mechanisms and tools and i will actually get super annoyed when people just tell me to have boundaries and i'm like well if it would be that fucking simple to just have a fucking boundary then you better think that i would fucking have them but it's super fucking hard if you've been raised as with a by a person who has zero boundaries herself and who number one doesn't have didn't have boundaries herself but also didn't acknowledge boundaries that you had then it's super fucking hard to have actual mm-hmm. boundaries and then to take that t- to also set that boundary and be like I'm gonna take that moment for myself now and then in the I don't know in the last couple of years I don't think I ever had any time where I was like I'm gonna do this for myself it's literally like the Friday like the times that I decided to stream now that's basically what that's the closest that is that that I come to to doing something um that is related to doing something for myself. And I know that that's not what I should be doing when we talk about self-care. <laughs> it's something. It's, it's, it's on the runway to self-care, but you're not in the air yet. <laughs> no, I'm not, not even no. close to in the air yet. I'm probably not even boarding yet. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think like Monica's running alongside the plane, just getting ready to jump in. <laughs> not sure I see a plane it's there. It is any, any place. Okay. So. I was gonna say you can see the plane but maybe you're not and maybe you're like and it, it is and it's it. exactly that and it, it's exactly the thing where you say rationally I know all of that I'm not like I'm not the stupidest candle on the tree I know shit sometimes <laughs> I might be often very confused and I look like I'm, a, like I'm a bit dumb sometimes but I don't think I'm actually that stupid and I know it like I logically know the shit that it should happen um, and that should require work and but yeah so happening yep. <laughs> can i can i link this back to something in the book that i didn't enjoy just i loved just about everything about what i read but there was something that really irked me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was when <clears throat> there's a passage about children don't come into the world knowing hate babies love their thighs like that whole piece i'm not sure mm-hmm. if you yep. if that's resonating and mm-hmm. that i, I spoke about it earlier actually so can you, I don't, I didn't hear what you said. I was probably messing around with something. Can you tell me what you said, Amanda? Just so that I'm um, speaking to the proper conversation here. Uh, so I read the the paragraph 
off and yep. finished with, we did not start life in a negative partnership with our bodies. Yes. And that I talked about babies finding their feet for the first time and how my friend is, my friend is posting pictures right now of her son Aww. who's just uh, discovered his tongue and is like sticking it out all the time. Awesome. <laughs> and then and like, you came back. It was when you were gone. Then you okay. came back and we changed. So, so I feel very conflicted about this and it's because part of it irks me. I believe it's true that babies don't come into this world knowing hate. And I believe that, you know, like that, that you, the piece where we don't come into the world with a negative relationship with our bodies is absolutely true. And I don't dispute that at all. And I think it's beautiful and important to remember, mm -hmm. but I am frustrated consistently in my life about this intellectual fetishization of the way humans are meant to be we come into the world this way we we should be eating a natural diet which according to various like is is always cultural specific in some weird way or yeah. time specific or you know whatever and this idea of like getting back to some some faux natural state of being because babies also don't come into the world knowing the difference between food and poison yeah. And I don't Very do that true. to be glib. It's this like idea that like we should return back to this like child like and I love I love children and I think childlike joy is important. But I feel like like this whole like babies love their thighs, so we should too. Is I don't part of this I really even think babies know. <laughs> That's the, yeah. that's what I was thinking yeah. when I was reading it. I was like, well, that's object permanence and kids just try to figure everything out. They're just as yeah. excited about a whiteboard with two black dots in front of your face as they are about <laughs> yes. everything else that they see. So that's really just something evolutionary and something sociological and and, and shit that is going on here and not necessarily because they look at their thighs and, and think like, oh my God, that's pretty and I love it. That's just yes. because... Mm -hmm. They suddenly and, like, the see first, things. The first color a, a typical eye can see is red. That doesn't mean everything in life should just be red because it's the first <laughs> one we recognized. Also, like, not every and so, not every smile out of a baby is an actual smile, but a, actually a, a re reflex. <laughs> yes, <laughs> lots of gas. So, like, and of gas. gas. Yeah, and a reflex. Yeah. And so yeah. I feel like the the metaphor was damaged a little bit like i love that we don't like the passage about like the line about we don't come into this world with a negative um relationship in our bodies like that's true and i believe that but i think it actually fell apart a bit when she sort of leaned into this idea of like babies loving their thighs or whatever it lost me anyway it lost mm -hmm. me because it, it speaks nice. to that yes it speaks to that kind of like fetishization of of some kind of natural state that we come into the world um that we that we aren't developing that it's not natural to develop new things as we grow and it's not natural to learn new yeah. things we're learning bad things in these cases around our mm -hmm. bodies and stuff like that um and it does point out that we have learned negative associations but how is that different than saying babies come into the world loving their fat thighs or whatever and and then we we teach them to love themselves even more. That's not any more unnatural. Like like it's 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 pointing in the wrong direction in a way, or like the wrong focus. Anyway, I feel like I'm getting off track there. But you know what I'm saying. I think um, I'm seeing both yeah. of you nod. Yeah. And I also think like you know how you see a baby and you're like, oh my god, look at that baby's fat thighs. Like, don't you just want to squish them all up and eat mm -hmm. them and stuff? And it's like, at what point 
it does a bait like somebody's thighs go from being cute chubby baby like thighs to being like your thighs are too fat like yes but it's also that people already comment on how fat or not fat a baby is like that i have had conversations or heard conversations where people were like like the kid is like what not even a year old or a few months old and they had a lot of milk or whatever and they suddenly their entire face swells up because they like get fat properly and that's where i'm and people already start commenting on how fat or not yes. fat the baby is so i'm like we start with that bullshit super fast it's not even that they need to be a certain age and all of a sudden the fat phobia or whatever or whatever fits in there is always a comment on how 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 babies look or don't look um so we make them we make those decisions and these things um super fast like this comment so fast in the as soon as a baby drops into the world basically yes yeah, the judgment and indoctrination into a certain way of thinking starts yeah. starts immediately. But the the issue is not that we teach lessons to children; it's that we teach them the wrong lessons yes. or unhealthy lessons. Yeah. And so that that I feel like that was a misguided way of it. It weakened that piece for me in a way mm-hmm. that I struggled with, yep. but I still loved all of it. But that part, I literally, like I was listening to the book as I was getting ready for bed and I was like, Oh no, here we go. <laughs> because it was that, like, you know where it's going, right? Like yeah. babies are born natural and then we ruin them. Um, like that whole thing, right? Like you should babies never are born with immunization and then we yes. give them vaccines and save them from disease. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, thank you for, thank you for like indulging me in that because it was the one thing, like I, I remember it so perfectly. Like I was getting ready for bed. I was literally pulling down my covers and she says it. And I stopped for a minute and looked at my bed and went, Oh no. (laughs) I was worried about that happening. (laughs) I wonder what these comments then often entail. Like, uh, of course I obviously read them and I didn't think anything any more about it. Now that you mention it, obviously I see the issue, but also my question then would be like, what does that constant, um, comparison to babies mean that what do we all of a sudden want to all crawl back into the place where we came from are we playing this the what is the movie the brad pitt movie where we kind of already then from old age then develop into a baby or what 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 is the goal like why do we need to i think uh, it's this obsession with a blank slate right it's this obsession that there is a is a natural human form as opposed to Life is lived and we are always our truest self in any moment. Mm -hmm. And that, and it's actually that progress narrative, right? Like you were saying earlier, Amanda, about, you know, it's fine if you want to lose weight or if you want to gain weight, but it's for you. It's also about accepting that it's, you can, you can work to be better. Mm -hmm. You can work to be whatever that means for you. You can work to be better without ever hating yourself. You can work mm-hmm. to be better without ever saying that the thing before was wrong and bad. Mm-hmm. You can work to be better without hating yourself. And I think that, yeah, like I think it's important to recognize that we don't need to, we don't need to dream of this blank slate of existence where everything is perfect and then go from there. We just get to be and be becoming. Yeah. Oh, I love that. We just get to be and be becoming. I, I love that a lot. Write that down in our quote list. Um, oh, God. Um, for, for social. Um, <laughs> while, Monica, <laughs> while, while I have tasked Monica with a job, um, 
What did you think about the three pieces? Um, like, I already forgot uh, it, I have to admit. <laughs> um, so um, the three pieces, she says that we need to, to there's, there's like three steps to making, to feeling peace and having peace. And um, number one is make peace with not understanding. Number two, make peace with difference. And number three, make peace with your body. How did that sit with you? I'm talking a lot, money. Can you say that again? I wasn't listening. I was oh. writing down things. It's true. I, I gave Monica. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, I should have. Been I, I, I can. I can start. Um, like, uh, with make peace with not understanding. Um, because I used to be very. Um, if I didn't understand, like I had to understand it. Um, like it was just kind of this compulsion, like I needed to understand. Um, I wanted to learn, I wanted to hear everything. And like, it just kind of came to a head when I just wrapped myself in like knots trying to figure something out. It wasn't specifically about a body, but it was, you know, in, in an area that, you know, we need more acceptance in any ways. Um, and I was like, you know what, I don't need to understand this in order to accept that this is a thing. Like, I don't need to understand every aspect of this concept, This like specifically this one that I'm vaguely referring to, in order to accept that it is happening, that it is mm -hmm. in existence. And um, it kind of changed a lot for me. And I think that was only within the last four or five months that I've made that detachment, mm -hmm. like peace, <laughs> as she says. <laughs> I mean, for me, I think, like, specifically, like, I loved, I actually loved the three points. Um, but I think speaking to yours, Amanda, um, I actually think that one of my greatest strengths as a person is being really okay with not knowing things and trusting anyway. On mm -hmm. both a spiritual level and an intellectual one, I And it comes from sort of two pieces. One is that I love knowledge and it makes me so excited to know that there is no end to the amount of it out there, that I can get so much of it and there's still so much more. And I also love, like, I am attracted to people who have like passions and not like, like, like if your favorite thing in the world is stamp collecting. I don't need to know a thing about it for me to sit there and listen to you talk about your stamp collection for three hours and fall in love with you during it. Mm -hmm. Because that idea that you've just developed this knowledge in an area and are in it and feel it is like amazing to me. And so for me, this idea of like, I don't need to know to, to have acceptance that I don't need to have it all figured out to start down a path is probably the way I've lived my whole life. And it's the thing I'm proudest about of myself, like in myself. It's the thing that I think has made me me. And I so, yeah, I think it's why I love with abandon because I'm like, I don't need to be certain that this is the right thing. I can just throw positivity and care and belief in it. And when I get information that says I need to make a different choice, I do then. That's fine. I can always pivot. I can always change. But like, it's so nice to just let go of the need to know it all and to be an expert and to have it perfect before you start. Just start. This is it. Yes. 
I'm getting there. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a process. Um, it is a process. It, 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 it is a process. And it's amazing that that's something that you like kind of naturally have because it's so the opposite for me. I'm getting there. 100% I'm getting there. But it's a big change. It's a big pivot for me. But yeah. But I think I'm society I think society tasks us with this idea of being able to immediately answer for anything. Like you need to have the answer. You need to justify. You need to like there's this like being put on the spot about about things that that really drives towards perfectionism. Perfectionism is seen as a good quality in our society. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to come against that, right? Like, and if you naturally have those tendencies or it's something you've struggled with or you've developed it, they've been nurtured into you, it's hard to go against the grain. And society says that the way you've been doing it, Amanda, is right. It's what is rewarded. And you know why it rewards it? Because then the suffering is on you and not society. It is you who are tasked to change, not society. Yes. And this is something um, that, that this is going to be word vomit that I am eventually going to write out, but I have not given myself the space to actually write about this. So it's just going to be like, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, Since (laughs) finding out that like, I don't have an inner monologue. No, this like, when did this happen, Monica? Like <laughs> May, June last time? Year, like maybe some. <laughs> yeah, literally changed my life. Um, and it's brought a lot into question for me because I am slowly realizing all of the things that I actually have difficulty with because I don't have this voice constantly talking in my head. And one of them is being involved in like conversations about things that I'm not super knowledgeable about, like interviews with some of our guests. I'm like, I, I can't think on the fly to form a response to something that they say. And um, like, it's, it's difficult. And I'm like taken back to um, like seminars in university um, where we like actually had to go into smaller groups and debate. And I always got like zero marks because I didn't say anything. And I was like, I can't compete with people who number one are also they're like super extroverts and I'm sitting there like super introvert. Um, But also like they just talk and can respond to each other. And I'm like, I'm still processing what that person said. Like I, my brain was not fast enough to think about what they said, formulate a response. And then it's already onto like, not only the next person, but like three, three other people. And I'm like, well, if I say something now, I'm replying to somebody like five minutes ago. And (laughs) Like it's been this whole process that this is something that I'm really learning about myself. Um, And more and more as I discover these things about myself and discover, like learn more about like knowing that I I don't need to say the perfect thing all the time and I can just kind of say something and it doesn't need to be perfect. Like right now, I'm just like talking words without thinking them because that's how I roll. But like um, I can do this more often. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is what I'm trying to say. Um, like it, it doesn't need to be perfect every mm-hmm. time I speak. Um, I, I mean, preferably it's relevant, which, you know, when it's a five minute later conversation, I'm like, oh, I can respond to that thing five minutes ago. Um, like that's less like, and then, yeah, anyways, I'm just rambling now, but. But <laughs> can I, like, I, yeah. Moni talked in a while, but I really, I really want to say something. You go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> You realize, though, Amanda, that what you are talking about is a neuroatypical thing that much of the world might 
it's in the realm of disability and you are talking about a world that doesn't accommodate your need in exactly the way that this book is talking about. Like you, you are literally saying that the world isn't built for people who think the way my brain works. And so I need to figure out how to live in that world in exactly the same way that I said it. Different needs, but it's the same thing. <laughs> I'm having a moment. <laughs> yeah. And so what you are dealing with is you figuring out what the barrier has been and how your body is different and how you like you are different. And now you're figuring out how to navigate that, in what ways you ask for space, in what ways, and you don't need to apologize that you need to take up space differently because your body functions differently. So apparently there's a lot of work I need to do this month too. <laughs> all of us, all of us, we're all doing it. All of us need to do that work. And I do think everybody um, yeah. has that kind of work to do, but some people are not properly looking at it or don't want to look at it. And I think that's fair as well because it's fucking hard. <laughs> it is. I just remember like a dinner party that I went to last year sometime, obviously before the pandemic. Um, maybe it was even the end of 2019 um, with like some business friends and I didn't know anybody there. Well, like I, I knew two people, but nobody else. And the conversation was like really like wonderful. It was a great conversation. I was just sitting there like, I don't know how to have a conversation with these women. <laughs> and like, they would say something in about literally like five or more minutes later, I was like, I have a response to that, but they're not talking about that anymore. And then I got asked, why didn't you say anything? And I was like, It's kind of awkward to be like, so going back to what you were saying five minutes ago. That's exactly what that sentence that. is for, though. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, it might feel awkward, but that's exactly what that is. Yeah. <laughs> like, And it's hard. It's harder, though, when it's places where you don't feel as safe, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's true, because it's when you're in a position where you're not, where you know there's some kind of disconnect happening between other people's experiences and yours and the way you're able to respond or be in that place. It takes a, it's, it takes vulnerability to advocate for yourself because we're in a world that asks you to apologize instead of advocate. That is true. And so, so what you were going through there, I think is, is exactly what the book is saying, right? Like you were feeling like, The option is to stay quiet because otherwise I need to advocate that I will, that for myself, like not necessarily advocate, like directly say, like, I need to talk about the thing from five minutes ago, but you need to act in a way that works for you. And it's easier to be quiet because it's easier to silence and remove yourself from a situation than to explain the way the situation doesn't fit or to try to make the situation fit or to try to exist in the situation. I see the cogs turning. <laughs> I'm I'm just having a moment of uh, questioning my entire existence. So carry on. <laughs> Lovebun says on that note. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lovebun says that she relates to Amanda. She usually sits and listens to a conversation because um, she never feels she can add anything worthwhile until late until later. And sometimes when she does um, um, talk, uh, she's not listened to or talked over. Yeah, I relate to that as well. And I think that the other, like the other piece that we haven't touched on here that is true for 
love bun and the three of us is that we're also women mm-hmm. and even in situations where it's all women it's still the masculine characteristics that are valued mm-hmm. it's still the assertiveness it's still the i mean goodness gracious there is no better analogy for life than the fact that they somehow made business women's business suits look exactly like men's but sexy. <laughs> that is true. so true. <laughs> because we are meant to look exactly like men but sexy. And so so there's this thing where like if you're gonna if you're if you're a woman, and I like in my professional life, this is so true. If you're a woman, but you act more masculine, which includes not listening, it includes talking over people, includes all sorts of things that sometimes I'm unintentionally very good at i'm sorry and um (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) but like those are the things that are valued so Um, then when women are quiet or women who are quiet talk they then get ignored and they then get talked over and all of those things because the other thing that's happening here is that women are silenced And our needs are silenced and our bodies are silenced in a different way. And so, you know, it's not just about if you were a quiet man, it would be a different situation, Amanda. And it wouldn't necessarily be easier, but it would be it would still be different, right? Like gender plays into it. And the assumptions of a quiet woman, both you, Amanda and Lovebun, are that you're docile and timid and that you're not thinking as much like there's all of these assumptions that play into it that are actually about ideas of gender and all sorts of stuff that then just play out in shitty ways and we don't get listened to. Yeah, that's very true. Um like there's very few things that make me feel depending on the group that I am in either more put on the spot or more welcomed than by being asked directly what I think Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Depending on the group. (laughs) (laughs) If I don't know them and like, I get asked my opinion on something and like my thoughts are still five minutes ago, I'm kind of like shut down and don't do anything. But yeah, otherwise it's like, it's, if it's in a, a group of people that I trust, it's just like really, I think welcoming understanding that, you know, I'm not as vocal mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, and even if they don't understand the reasons that are going on in my head. Holding space, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not, and it doesn't, you know, it's not so much about whether someone takes up the space when it's held for them. It's the idea that like, I'm holding the space for you and you can fill it or not fill it. And it's your choice. And all of that is valid. You can fill it up however you want. Mm-hmm. I feel like this has turned into group therapy. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Isn't sorry. It always? I do that. <laughs> um, Lovebun says that but she this- feels the same. It depends on the group for her too. Uh, she can be somewhat extroverted when she's around people that she's comfortable with. But when uh, then with others, she's really introverted. Mm-hmm. Um, Lovebun, I wonder, do you have an internal monologue? Like, do you have a, a voice inside your head? Um, just out of pure curiosity because we seem to be quite similar with the way that we approach conversations with other people so just wonder well i don't even necessarily think it's conversations with other people it's how you converse with yourself in your life as well Mm -hmm. well yeah but based on the two uh, statements that love made it was directly Mm -hmm. regarding conversations with other people um so i'm just asking if love has an inner monologue 
Yeah, usually rehearse something before she says things. Cool. Thanks. What a book. We've only done the prologue in the in the first chapter. That is Let true. me, I know. And before we started, Amanda was like, I can just say I like that book. That's all. Probably not can, cannot talk a lot about it. And now we're two hours in. And like <laughs> probably will be no later. games. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's totally no, fun. No, I love it because fantastic. it's... You bring the... You bring obviously bring different views into the conversation because we will probably have talked about being fat and all that, and that's it. <laughs> and and it's so sad because it, it's it's not not sad. It's so good that you bring the other side of the coin as well because she also starts exactly with that into the book, and then yeah. So thank you so much for sharing like that. Obviously, an hour and fifty three minutes later, I'm kind of like, oh, apparently I might be a little bit neuroatypical. I should probably look into this a little bit more, see how I can learn more about my brain. Yeah. Aw, thanks for book club, friends. Thank you for joining thanks book for, club. Yeah, for joining I'm book so, club. I'm so yeah. in love with with this book, and also scared, right? Like, yeah, I mean, we're only like one deep. chapter in now, and you're already like, fuck, shit. <laughs> <laughs> don't uh, look at me now what are we doing <laughs> i mean i have to if say one still chapter si- was group therapy i know mm. i was sitting there and that's always the issue like that's the to, for me to the core question is always like how do i get i have no i feel i know like again in theory i know mm-hmm. that's where you need to go but i don't know how like i don't know how to how to get to a place of radical self-love i don't like i'm going to therapy i'm talking about shit for two years now i mean there's a break now thanks pandemic and lockdown and everything but i'm like how how, i don't know i don't know how and that's that's the thing where i'm like will i ever i don't know how (laughs) um that's what makes it really i don't know tricky do i want to is that like kind of like i'm protecting myself i don't even want to look in look into that because it's too painful um so mm-hmm. so I pretend I'm not not go I can't I don't know how to go there because it's too painful and that that's it but then how do I get away from that Can I can I use an analogy because I only know how to speak in analogies Please. So you have like what I what I hear is I think this idea of like to use the travel metaphor and the runway metaphor <laughs> you have loaded a lot of baggage into a plane and therefore the plane needs a longer runway to take off Mm-hmm. And so it's taken two years, but that doesn't mean like what you need is a longer is a longer runway to get into the air, i.e. to start getting there, maybe like do actually practicing self-love mm-hmm. actually on the path towards that. And that's valid. Mm-hmm. We all, depending on the journey we're on, and we're all on a million of them. Mm-hmm need different runways and have different aircraft. And this is one where it's going to take a longer runway for you, Monty. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're never going to get into the air. It just means you need to keep getting down the runway. <laughs> I just, when you said it doesn't mean I can't keep getting into the air, I saw myself as a bumblebee with tiny, <laughs> tiny wings. which was just... <laughs> flying around and barely like being able to stay be in the air but then physically like physically like with physics yep. can't but she's flying <laughs> she's flying the bumblebee's flying <laughs> and also are you listening to yourself <laughs> just wondering <laughs> you might have a bumpy bumblebee money <laughs> <laughs> 
I had that joke with I had that joke with an ex colleague of mine actually that I'm gonna tattoo myself some wings on the back and then I'm gonna fly around being the fat bumblebee. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's besides the point. <laughs> but yeah, maybe we all need to embrace our freaking runway and how, doesn't matter how long it is. <laughs> Love mm-hmm. one is buzzing with me. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Friends, can I just say what an awesome start to 2021 for like geek herring and book club? And I'm so grateful. Thanks for taking so much time out of your day, which is obviously probably a general <laughs> shit show also because, you know, not that you have shit going on or anything and spending so much time with us. Mm-hmm. I have with led you. multiple, I've led multiple parts of my life to believe that I am engaged in the other one. Well, actually <laughs> again. here. <laughs> Once again. I'm not actually like skirting proper responsibility that's important. I'm just, I just told both parts of my life that I'm swamped with work <laughs> and then came here. <laughs> I love that. That's fair. And I genuinely appreciate your thoughts, Gemma. I'm really glad that you're spending the first part of 2021 tackling this with us into radical self-love. Because I love your thoughts. And I'm grateful that you're here sharing them with us. And just even if you weren't, I'm just grateful that you exist and are our friend as well. Oh, yes. I'm so soft and emotional. Oh, <laughs> I love my friends. <laughs> if you like this episode of Geek Caring, why not leave us an iTunes review? You can also find us on social at Geek Caring and over on geekcaring.com. 